0: this is the birth baby and life podcast with kristin burgess and we're discovering that birth is as safe as life gets in episode number 184 welcome to the birth baby and life podcast the tips tools and straight talk you want for pregnancy childbirth and bringing up baby and now your host kristin burgess Hey mama, it's Kristen, and in this episode of the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, we are going to talk about why natural childbirth is a lot safer than you think. Like I said, my name is Kristen Burgess, and I work with pregnant and new mamas who want to have a great pregnancy and a natural birth, and who want to intentionally create a peaceful home filled with the laughter of a happy family. The problem that we're looking at today is that people think that childbirth is, at worst, very dangerous even extremely dangerous and they think that it at the best it's it's just a gamble. So this is a huge problem because at the root it ends up making women into passive victims. Like your medical care provider becomes the only person who's qualified to help manage this process that's either extremely dangerous or kind of like just a gamble, a crapshoot. Birth has to be, quote unquote, managed. And that's actually terminology that you'll see throughout the medical literature is managing birth. And probably the worst side effect, I guess, or the worst issue with this whole problem of believing that birth is super dangerous or just a gamble is that mother and baby are set at odds. It becomes like a mother versus baby mentality. And that ends up cascading into all of motherhood. It cascades into motherhood because we see, like, this whole stage set for the need for experts. Or it even cascades into the mom versus baby mentality continuing throughout our children's growing up years. It's always, like, either they get enough or I get enough, but not everybody gets enough. And there's a million reasons why that's false. Even though I will be the first to tell you that parenting can be really tough and that mothering does require some balance, the reality is is that a good enough mother who's taking good care of herself and who is reasonably attentive to her child is giving her child a great start. And in fact, not 100% always meeting her child's needs perfectly is the perfect way to meet your child's needs because it helps them develop resilience and skills. And you have to be intentional. That's why one of the things I said is I I work with moms who want to create intentional homes, who are consciously working to create intentional homes. But that's a rabbit trail. I don't want to go too far down that. But I really do believe that this mother versus baby dichotomy that is set up immediately in pregnancy, and especially as you get closer to your baby's birthday, is something that we see, we see a legacy of that throughout mothering years, and it's really unfortunate. And, you know, there's, it, it, it creates this adversarial perspective about yourself as a mother and then yourself as not a mother. And those are just not good. When we understand that birth is not this awful, scary, dangerous experience that it's frequently portrayed as, we create more room to step into our power, for you to step into your power as a birthing woman and as a co creator of humanity. And I know that maybe that sounds pompous or over the top, but the truth is, I've really, I really respect the. The incredible power that we have as women to be co creators in a way that is a bit more hands on than men. Because I realize, you know, we're co creators with men. It takes sperm to fertilize an egg. We got to have the dudes around. And I think that dudes and daddies are really vital. But I think we as women stand as co creators with God, with the divine, with Almighty, because we have this special place of growing children and birthing them in this special abundance that's given to us as moms. And Stepping into that power and embracing that and reveling in that and really taking that to its fullest extent in that abundance and co-creation and that power and that strength that we have as moms serves us and our kids. And I've, I've had this tone with a lot of podcasts lately and I know I could get carried away with it. So let me get back on topic here. But we're going to start our myth busting here with a trip down memory lane. So many of you have probably watched Call the Midwife. If you're pregnant right now and you haven't watched Call the Midwife, I would say maybe wait until you're not pregnant anymore. Just because I think that scenes, birth scenes and pregnancy things and stuff, especially when they're on television, television has a way or, you know, movie streaming, whatever, has a way of imprinting on us in a powerful way. And during pregnancy, we're especially susceptible to that imprinting. So you may just want to put like your bubble up and save that for later. Not saying it's not a good show, but think about it. There's a lot of emotional scenes in Call the Midwife. Um, And there are are a lot of women who are birthing in suboptimal conditions because the midwives in Call the Midwife are serving this lower income neighborhood where women are really birthing. I mean, they're having lots of babies back to back and they aren't well nourished and there's venereal diseases and all kinds of things like that are going on and causing problems. And... I think that's really a key to understanding the past and where beliefs about childbirth have come from. Because they're rooted in in a truth. Because in the past, there were things that made birth more difficult. One of the things I like to think about is industrial pelvises. So this is especially true for the women who would have been in the call the midwife seasons, especially the earlier seasons. These women were often struggling with malnourishment. And if we look earlier in the Industrial Revolution in those times, there was a lot of malnourishment for women in those times. As children that resulted in these industrial pelvises, these pelvises that were literally contracted in ways that wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened if the women had been well nourished so they were lacking vitamin D and they had rickets and other things so their bodies their skeletons their physical structure and how they developed throughout childhood and into their childbearing years wasn't what it should be it was suboptimal to say the least and really dangerous to moms and babies because women just didn't have the normal pelvic expansion that they that they have when they're better nourished or especially now. Malnutrition, stress, deprivation, all of those were very real issues for women in the past, especially in low-income areas or areas where there weren't a lot of resources. And then conversely, if we step back a little further or really not not further, but if we look at ancestral diets, which Dr. Price, Dr. Weston A. Price, he was a dentist, he studied these in the 1930s, so roughly the time that some of the Call the Midwife episodes were were playing. And he, as a dentist, recognized he was working with patients who were in that same demographic as the women who would be featured in the Call the Midwife stories. So that same demographic of humans who were really struggling with tooth decay and with bone problems and children with growth problems and all those sorts of things, that's what he was interested in. That's what he was studying And so he went to cultures around the world, studying indigenous cultures, and he noticed that they didn't have the same problems that people did in the industrial world. In fact, he often found vibrant health in these people who lived in ways that we would think were really primitive, yet they had vibrant health. And so he did studies of all of these different cultures, profiling what they ate and how they ate, and what he found, and we're not going to go down all of his theories or talks. I think I've talked about it before on many, many moons ago on the podcast. But particularly one of the things that jumps out to me as a birth worker is he noticed that many cultures prioritized high nutrient density food for pregnant women. In fact, one of my favorite anecdotes that he tells is, I, I believe it was a Polynesian culture that he studied They sent teenage boys out to hunt for particular shellfish when women became pregnant because they knew it was important. And often when a woman was engaged to be married, she was fed special foods or even the the couple, the engaged couple was fed special foods in different indigenous cultures around the world. And this shows this innate knowledge that human beings had that we need to take care of pregnant women, that we need to prepare for conception, that we need to have people healthy. And overall, these people's baseline health was much better. So it's not to say that childbirth in those places, in those situations was was ever perfect, but there was a time when it was better. And then we got to the Industrial Revolution where there really was malnutrition, where rapid urbanization resulted in poverty. And all throughout, history we see famines and those impacts on mothers and babies and childbearing and the children who grow up during famine even when there's plenty again in the past we saw real problems that really had an impact on physiology on structure and on how women could birth and even grow babies during pregnancy And again, sometimes there really are emergencies. There are odd baby presentations and those sorts of things happen here and there. They really do. And for those situations, I am grateful for medical science. I am grateful for obstetricians who are surgeons and who can help. And you're grateful for skilled midwives who can help babies navigate out. But what I really want you to take away is that even though, yes, in the past, birth was dangerous, when we look back on it now, we can see why was birth more dangerous for women who would be like the women in Call the Midwife, which is a fictional show but based on truth and reality. And why were the people that Dr. Price studied more robust? And why were their children more robust? And why did they live longer? And those sorts of questions can help highlight Okay, what was going on then, and and how does that apply to us now? So, you know, I want you... I want you to think about it. Today we have some issues. They're subtle, subtle issues, like subtle malnutrition. I'll talk about that shortly. But it's just nothing like what people experienced in the past. And, again... All of that powerfully impacted the safety of childbirth. But, but, and this is a really big but, I want you to also stop and consider. While we did lose mothers and babies, and many children didn't survive infancy for many of the same reasons, yet for some reason childhood isn't so taboo as birthing. Think about it. You know, we're like, oh my goodness, don't have kids because it's so dangerous and they might die. Nobody says that now (laughs) because we realize that we've made great strides and that things are a little bit different now. Unfortunately, we do still lose children here and there to accidents and to to diseases and things like that but for the most part we have a much greater expectation that our children are going to live to adulthood yet somehow we've we've still even though we've progressed forward in the same ways that make maternal health better we still hold on to these fears but again while we did lose moms and babies in the past I want you to think about how many women survived and how many women even birthed many babies even with those poor odds, birth is designed to work. And we will come back to that again. But I want you to hold on to that. That yes, there were legitimate issues in the past. And we know so much more now. So let's, let's move into that. So you, you make a huge difference in the course of your pregnancy and birth. Again, yes, random chance happens. We all know that. I believe that you are here listening to this because you acknowledge that, that there is random chance, and you also choose to let go of that and allow that some things, sometimes things happen that are out of your control, but you want to know that you have consciously worked to create a healthy pregnancy. So yes, there are still elements of chance, and you acknowledge that. But you don't want to leave it all to chance. You're not going to throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, well, there is an element of chance, so I may as well leave it all to chance. We don't need to do that. It's just like if we think when we get out on the road, yes, there's a chance that when you get out on the road, there's going to be a fatal car accident. But it it doesn't mean that you decide, oh, I'm just going to be a crappy driver. No, you learn to drive well. You learn defensive driving skills to increase the safety on the road for you and everybody else pregnancy is the same. Just because there is an off chance of chance, nature intervening like a deer running across the road or something, there is still many things you can do and know and study and understand to greatly increase the chance that your pregnancy is healthy because it's not all chance. There is a small tiny percentage of chance. but it's not all chance in the way that we've been led to believe. So you want to consciously work to have a healthy pregnancy and a good birth. And you absolutely can. There is a lot of evidence that, support, that supports that moms make a huge difference. You have a big, big impact. Now, let me tell you, okay, and this is, this is a joke name and I know that it's not, it's not politically correct. And it could be triggering. But my first midwife, whose name is Charlie she was fondly referred to as the nutrition Nazi by all of her clients because she was just like, about nutrition. You know, she just came down on everybody about making sure that nutrition was good. And again, it's, she was exactly right because diet makes such a huge Huge difference. I told you the story a few minutes ago of Dr. Price, the research that he did, the indigenous peoples that he found, and the fact that they honored that nutrition was an essential component. They didn't understand all the biology, all the physiology, all the nutrition. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand about vitamins and minerals and healthy fats and all of that. But they knew That when mothers or when newlywed women, who we're assuming were going to get pregnant shortly because they're newlyweds. When these women ate these foods, there were healthier babies for the people group. So people intuitively understood this and we know that now. We know, it's. I've been listening to uh, a doctor, Dr. Ted Naaman. I think it's Naaman is his last name. Who he is talking about the problems that we have as human beings. And it's really interesting to listen to his work because it would really line up with the healthy pregnancy diet that I talk about, which emphasizes protein because that's what he's doing is emphasizing protein. He basically says that we as as humans today get too much energy both from fat and from carbs. And he says we should be, and we don't get enough protein. He says we should make sure we're getting more protein getting natural fats in our foods, and then eating low-carb, higher-starch veggies like leafy greens and those sorts of things. So anyways, it's been interesting to listen to him and then also to listen to what he talks about. He's a family practice physician for 20-some years now, probably almost 30 years at this point, and he talks about how when he has a person come into his clinic who is, has amazing lab values looks amazing feels amazing and then he's got someone comes in who has all kinds of chronic disease and is shuffling all over the place and is bent over and hardly has the energy the difference between them is diet and exercise it's that simple and so he's not talking about in the context of pregnancy at all but i find it really interesting because it totally lines up with the research that we're seeing about pregnancy and especially people like lily nichols um you know, I talk about her frequently. She's really dialed in to, to cutting-edge research on diet. And even, again, talking about a long time ago, going back, just n- not quite as far as Dr. Price, but only, a, you know, going back quite a ways, Dr. Brewer, who is the creator of the Brewer diet, you know, he was on to these principles. And then Lily's work where she, and her research is really just building on all of that. But that, we're seeing the same things with pregnant women, similar to what Dr. Naiman is talking about. And that's that our nutrition makes a huge difference in our bodies physiologically, whether we're pregnant or not. And then your nutrition and the way that you take care of your body and the way that you move and what you do and what you eat makes a huge difference for you and your baby. And we know too that it makes an epigenetic difference for your baby. Like for example, we know that women who under eat during pregnancy have babies who are more predisposed to gaining fat. Later in life because they've been epigenetically programmed to hoard because there isn't enough. And then, of course, women who have lots and lots of sugars and stuff during pregnancy have babies who struggle later in life, even into adulthood. So again, we know that it makes a huge difference. We know that movement makes a huge difference because it's part of a healthy life as a human being. It's healthy part of health for our skeleton and for load bearing and everything like that. And it helps you get ready for a good birth. So you make a massive, massive difference just in lifestyle choices that you make with what you eat, what you drink and how you move throughout your pregnancy. It makes a huge difference. And these are all things, again, when we think about those women and Call the Midwife, that they just, they couldn't or didn't do because they were in restrictive circumstances. They were living in crowded tenements. They had suboptimal nutrition. And so birth was more dangerous for them. And even if we look at women today, you know, women in the middle class tend to, or in the lower classes, you know, protein foods are are the more expensive foods, and so women tend to be more sedentary because everybody in our society is more sedentary, and they're eating more sugar, and they're eating more carbs, and maybe even getting more fats, not getting a lot of protein. Again, we see these effects, and we see how, and that's why I said, even though we don't have the extreme malnutrition that women did in the past, for example, you would almost never find a, a pelvis contracted by rickets in a woman today which is why the whole her pelvis is too small for her baby is really 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 a a huge rarity but you do have this subtle undercurrent of malnutrition that's going on and part of it is government propaganda government nutrition information that just isn't really you know it's not healthy for women and it doesn't help women to know what they need to do to grow optimally healthy babies and to another thing and again I'm 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 hitting on nutrition a lot because it's just the most powerful I've been I've been studying pregnancy birth and babies for 25 years I've been pregnant and mothering for 20 years I've been teaching other women for 16 years and I've assisted at hundreds of prenatals a couple dozen births and I can tell you that the number one thing that makes a difference for moms and babies is diet. And the number two is getting in that movement and looking at that lifestyle, that stress, and and doing the inner work of pregnancy. But number one is diet, which is why I'm really talking about that. As I talk to you about what does it take to create a healthy pregnancy and a safe birth, there is so much that you can do. And again, this isn't to bring guilt to you, especially if you're like in the throes of morning sickness and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, Kristen, I can't eat anything. I want you to realize, though, that that's not a permanent state and that there is much, much, much that you can do to create optimal health for yourself and your baby. And even if it feels like things are difficult right now, I do believe that there and this is what I I work one on one with moms and this is one of the things that we do is we work on how do you dial in pregnancy diet, how do you dial in movement. One of my favorite one-on-one clients from the past year, you know, she went through a lot. Like she ended up living with in-laws for a while. There was various rounds of colds. She had a toddler who kept getting colds and then she get, you know, it was just a challenging situation. And the thing that I loved about working with her is we would get together and we would do our chats, or we would we do a voice text. It's kind of like voice texting back and forth, where you can send quick snippets. I offer that to one-on-one clients, uh, like basically 24. 24- 24-7 I mean I don't always respond overnight but they can send it 24-7 and I'll get back to them pretty quickly and so you know she would come to me like with little questions or when we would have a longer session and then I would give her suggestions and she would implement so she found ways to move she prioritized rest as well especially during those times of sickness but she found ways to eat she found ways to move even with all the challenges and that is what is awesome and resourceful and I know that's the same way that you are so regardless of your challenges we can do it and I also know from an income person Perspective. You know, I've had most of my babies while living under the poverty line, and I know you can have a healthy pregnancy diet even when you're way down there. It is possible. So we have challenges, but there are challenges that we can overcome. And again, if we go back to what I said at the beginning, you know, you are this life-giving, abundant, beautiful, co-creative being. And so you have the ingenuity and the creativity and the resourcefulness to do this. And it doesn't always feel easy. I can tell you guys today that there was a moment earlier today with just the intensity of parenting and being consistent and being there and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. Like I was so ready for my kids to finish up what I had told them they needed to do to be able to earn a little bit of screen time today because I wanted that break because it was just so much. So I realized that sometimes All of this feels overwhelming and all of it feels like a lot and it feels like a lot on you, but it's kind of like that Harry Potter thing, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So it's there, but it is there and it's, it's just a beautiful feeling to know that you've done this work and that you've been intentional and that you have grown this beautiful, healthy baby and had this lovely birth. So it really makes a difference. And like just our physiology. so And I think I rabbit-trailed myself a minute here because I was talking about how all of that helps you grow a healthy baby. But it also helps you physiologically, like your body, to be an optimal condition for birthing and everything like that. It, so, you know, baby growth, amniotic fluid levels, the safety of birth, all of that is impacted by what you do with that diet movement, stress care, that inner spiritual work. That I like to call it inner work because I'm not sure what words resonate with you particularly. But to me, it's a spiritual thing. It's a soul searching for me. It's talking with God as well and also doing that inner soul searching in myself because pregnancy is always a transition, even if you're becoming a mother again. It's always a transition and a new facet of our identity as a woman. And so you do that inner work as well, but especially that baseline physiological Nourishing yourself, moving yourself, learning about birth, learning birth skills, learning from the wisdom of women who went before you, all of those things are so powerful and so important. And, you know, of course, preparation for birth makes a difference. But all of that work that you do in pregnancy is so, so, so important. That's one of the reasons why I put Mama Baby Birthing together, which is my childbirth course. It is a six-week online childbirth course, completely online, and it's available instantly. You can go dive in. You can follow it in the six weeks the way that I set them up, or you can go through at your own pace and dipping in here and there but I really talk about and emphasize all of these things. I give you what you need to know about diet and exercise. And I talk about stress care. And then I talk about the different choices that you have in birth. Because of course those do impact your birth and how it turns out, where you give birth, who you choose to attend you at birth, all of those things really do make a difference. So we talk about that. We talk about interventions. We talk about complications. We talk about what prevents complications because it's not just chance. And I know if you're here listening to this podcast, you know that. So we go into all of that. We go into the birth skills that you need, what you need to know about the physiology of birth, how labor and birth works. It is so much more than just, oop you dilate to tend and you push the baby out. There's so much more going on. So I go into detail about that so you understand what's going on in the birthing process and how you can facilitate that, how you can work with your baby during birth and how your birth partner can help you both out and have a smooth and safe birth experience. And then, of course, I talk about this spiritual inner work that you do during pregnancy because it is so important to do that because that is is what gives you that foundation and that strength where you find and you mine and you explore throughout your pregnancy and you pull up that inner strength and that is what you find during birth, which is a sacred and transcendent and beautiful experience. It may be really difficult. It may leave you wondering where you're gonna pull more strength from in that reservoir, but you will find it within you and it will be a beautiful experience and a safer experience and a smoother experience and a more ecstatic experience. Because of the preparation that you've done, so all of that is in Mama Baby Birthing, and it's why I feel so passionate about my course. And so, if you want to check that out, you can head over to MamaBabyBirthing.com. That's M A M A BabyBirthing.com, and I even have a coupon right now for forty percent off, which is good, Mama. G O O D Mama, good Mama, all caps. Put that in, that gets you forty percent off right now. But let's keep going. Let's talk a little bit more. So, I want to talk to you about Carla Hartley, who is a midwife who passed away a few years ago. And she was the founder of my midwifery school, Ancient Art Midwifery. And she had a quote that she said, which I love. And that is, birth is as safe as life gets. Because truly, birth is meant to work. And it is also, and I want you to stop and listen. If you're washing the dishes or driving or whatever, really focus for a minute. It is meant to be empowering and even euphoric. Yep, I said it. Birth is meant to be a powerful experience. Sarah Buckley, Dr. Sarah Buckley, she's a family practice physician from Australia. And she has, she wrote the book Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, which is a book that I recommend for everybody who takes my mom and baby birthing classes. Uh, and sh- she talks a lot about this. In fact, she's done all of her work, like her her higher level, PhD kind of level work for in this realm of looking at ecstatic birth and looking at physiological birth and looking at how birth is supposed to work and looking at how the hormones of birth impact things. And it's really incredible and really powerful. And she talks about how from a survival perspective as a species, birth is meant A, to work, But it's not just meant to work and leave an exhausted, wrought out mother and baby or a mother and baby who are separated from each other by, you know, by a NICU. And I'm not saying anything bad if you've had a baby who needs a NICU. They're wonderful. My best friend is a NICU nurse. So I respect that. But that's not that's not the way that it's meant to be. Birth was designed to work. And to leave a mother and baby who are energized by each other and a hormonal, it's a hormonal euphoria that is caused to, that is, it is purposeful. It is intentional to create a bond between mom and baby that is really powerful because from a survival perspective, that's what benefits the species is a mother who is highly bonded to her baby and who is willing to look out for her baby, willing to take care of her baby, willing to run away from saber toothed tigers for her baby. That is what that is what nature is intended. And if you come from a perspective where you're looking at God or the divine, of course, we believe that God created something sacred in motherhood and he wanted this experience to be a sacred and powerful experience. It even says in the scriptures, and I can't remember the scripture reference right now, but there's a time in the scriptures where it talks about, you know, when we're in the middle of our birthing time, it can be intense. And you want want it to be done. But then as soon as the baby is birthed, there's ecstasy. The mother forgets that. There's euphoria. So again, it doesn't really matter. To me, it's a beautiful thing that these perspectives marry up so well in birth. Because it means that no matter what your worldview is or what your perspective is, you can see and respect that birth was designed to work or birth evolved to work or whatever. There is an intention behind it. And that intention is for it to be a good experience for mother and baby so that mother and baby are strongly and beautifully bonded. And that's actually one thing that I think is kind of cool for moms who have a baby in the NICU is that we've done so much research on kangaroo care and what helps babies thrive in the NICU. And so there's this, this powerful um, emphasis on on mother-baby bonding and on skin-to-skin and everything. I feel like There's still some work that needs to be done with figuring out how do we integrate breastfeeding and all of that into there. But I also recognize that sometimes we're working with micropemies and really, really fragile babies. But there's also this, you know, this desire that as soon as baby is able, you know, baby is being skin to skin with a human being as much as possible and, and ideally with mom. And moms, you know, they're just devoted to their babies. So even in that situation where the birth wasn't ideal, We see that pattern and that design for that closeness and for that euphoria of just having your baby on your chest and smelling their head. That was another thing Carla said was no hatting, no padding, no chatting. So don't put a baby a hat on baby's head and block those olfactory lovelinesses of being able to smell the baby smell. I mean, universally women are usually like, Oh my gosh, newborn baby smells heavenly. And even, even dudes, like I was talking to a friend recently and he was like, Oh my gosh, my kids, when they were babies, they smelled so good. But You know, there's that olfactory and then when she says the no padding, no chatting, she's meaning like hands off mom and baby and keep it quiet so that the focus of this time can be to bond and to to preserve that hormonal flow that Sarah Buckley talks about. And Dr. Michelle Odent, who is a French obstetrician, who's done a lot of research on um, moms and babies. He's been a birth warrior for decades now. He talks about too just the need to keep things really quiet and low key so that we preserve that time of of hormonal euphoria for mom and baby and that is really important because it protects physiological processes so when we honor the hormones of birth and when we honor the way that birth is supposed to work and that begins in pregnancy like I said with everything that you're doing in your pregnancy to help create uh, like optimal health for you and your baby And then it continues into a birth, which is one of the reasons why I believe that birthing courses are so important because we just don't understand it. And and I'm not talking about hospital birthing classes, which don't even talk about any of this stuff. But birthing classes are, are researching and understanding, studying this hormonal process of birth, which is really something that we've just started diving into in the last decade, decade and a half, like this hormonal understanding of the hormonal flow of birth. When I was having my first kid, you know, 20 some years ago, I I knew that natural birth was best, but just this deep understanding, which is only really scratching the surface. I'm sure that a decade from now, two decades from now, three decades from now, when hopefully I'm still serving moms, will know so much more. But, you know, this is all kind of cutting edge, just starting to understand this, like people like Dr. Buckley and Lily Nichols and I mean, Michelle O'Dent and Dr. Brewer back in his day, they were cutting edge. But these people are just really taking that torch and they're continuing to run with it and continuing to dig more and more in. And we understand more and more, more and more and more on how we prevent complications and how we keep these things ideal. But again, you know, understanding the physiology of birth and how birth works and how we protect that hormonal flow, which is really the master conductor of the entire orchestra that is birth, is really important because when we do that, We protect birth for mom and baby. So birth isn't just some random you got lucky thing that it goes smoothly. It's one of the reasons why if baby is coming quick, like you hear about women who birth on their bathroom floor or in the car on the way to the hospital or whatever. You know, usually those moms and babies are super stable because when birth is uninterrupted and works quickly, it usually works without complication. Again, that's not always true. But when we aren't messing with birth, it usually works. And so when we honor this natural process of birth, when mom's going to labor naturally, and when the birthing process happens without a lot of patting and chatting and poking and prodding and everything... That creates hormonal safety because it keeps the hormonal levels optimal, which keeps birth moving smoothly, which means that the body, including the uterus, work the way that they're supposed to. When a mother goes into birth well-nourished, she's got 60% more blood in her body than she did pre-pregnancy, which is a lot of insurance to help her get through the birthing process. It's really important. When we honor these things, when we understand these things, then birth works because it's designed to work. And when we honor that, when we honor the physiological process of pregnancy and the physiological process of birth, we create safety. And again, with that no padding, no hatting, no chatting time, right after the baby's born, that euphoria time, when that euphoria is present, when that bond between mother and baby is there, hormone levels skyrocket. You've probably heard me say this before. Oxytocin levels get so high that everybody in the room gets a contact high off of them. That's pretty high. So that creates safety because those high oxytocin levels encourage the uterus to do what it needs to do to shear the placenta off for the placenta to be born and then for the uterus to do what it needs to do with moving down in size, um, kinking off the blood vessels that were left by the placenta, you know, left exposed by the placenta. They kink off like garden hoses and all of that creates so much safety for mom and baby and then in the days after birth when mom takes it easy and when she focuses on baby and when there's lots of skin-to-skin cuddling and lots of nursing and she's well taken care of again well nourished up and peeing when she should and just feels like she's got that ability to rest to nap when baby naps to nurse the baby just to be in that beautiful time of postpartum bliss I hope for each of you then That continues that hormonal flow and that physiology and we create safety. So I I hope this episode has helped you see that pregnancy is designed to work to create a healthy mother and baby. And there's a lot going on there too that, that works towards breastfeeding success. So pregnancy grows a healthy baby. And develops a mother's body for birth, for first for supporting her child for birth and also for nourishing her baby through breastfeeding. And then all of this goes into birth and a safer birth experience and a safer postpartum. Pregnancy is physiologically designed to work. Birth is physiologically designed to work. With not just baseline safety, get everybody out without major complications, but for optimal Birthing for a sacred and euphoric birth experience. And that that doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. In fact, I believe that for me, the intensity of my baby's births and even the challenges that their pregnancies brought helped develop resilience in me that helped me find my strength and my power and draw upon those wells in times that are so difficult even this afternoon, you know, it's just this, I was, again, I was talking to a friend and I was explaining to him how I was trying to get back to some of the parenting principles and consistency that I had gotten away from in these past four years of crisis for our family. And he, you know, he told me that he really appreciated how hard I try, you know, that my heart is in it and that it's my intention to always be a better mother for my kids. And that, You know, that really warmed my heart to have him acknowledge me in that way. But it's the same with you as you work intentionally to create a better pregnancy and birth. It doesn't always mean that it'll be easy, just like getting more consistent with my kids and making sure I'm teaching them skills that will help them grow into healthy and happy adults isn't always easy, and oftentimes it leaves me pulling from wells of strength. You know, it's the same in pregnancy and birth, and I think that learning through a pregnancy and birth that I could pull on wells of strength and that I could look at resources like the birthing courses that I took, like mama baby birthing might be for you, like, you know, coming to me and chatting with me about what's going on with you one-on-one if you want that level of support. You know, those things are things that you can pull on. You've got your own resources and then realization that you can tap into the resources of other wise women and other mamas who have been there before you and birth professionals and all of those people. All of that helps you to realize that birth really and truly can be so much safer than we're left to believe. It's not haphazard. It's not luck. And it can be a beautiful and safe experience. So again, remember, pregnancy and birth are just not the same as they were in the past. When women were trying to go through pregnancy and birth babies... In incredibly difficult circumstances. And even when we do see problems with nutrition and things like that today, because of our unique time and and place in, in the world and in humanity's history... It's not like it was in the past. And I also want you to remember that you make a huge and powerful, powerful difference. And I also want you to remember that birth is as safe as life gets. When we honor the physiology of pregnancy, the physiology of birth, when we honor the postpartum, we create a healthier, safer experience for mama and baby on every level physically, mentally, emotionally. We want to safeguard and be intentional. About creating that and it starts with honoring the fact that physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, however you want to think about it, there was a physiological process and a, a self-growth process that is here in this experience of pregnancy and birth and when we honor those, we do so, so, so much better. Okay, so next week we are going to stick with pregnancy a bit. We're going to talk about how stress impacts your baby. I touched on stress a couple of times in this episode, and we're going to dive deeper into how stress impacts your baby. And I think rather than that episode causing you more stress and anxiety, you're really going to be encouraged. So I would love to have you listen in next week. And then before we end today, if you want to hear more from me and you're not subscribed, you can go to... um, Um, trustbirth101.com and that signs you up for the newsletter. And if you'd like to jump into Mama Baby Birthing, again, it's completely self-paced and you can also send me your food diaries and those sorts of things and I'm happy to dialogue with you about that. But if you want that self-paced walking through what you need to do for a healthy pregnancy, how to make the right choices in your pregnancy, what you need to know about interventions, complications, what skills you need to get through those contractions and to have a natural birth. And then of course, doing that inner work so that you feel ready, so that you feel strong, and so that you have this beautiful, powerful experience with you and your baby, definitely check out Mama Baby Birthing. You can head over to mamababybirthing.com. That's M-A-M-A babybirthing.com. And use coupon Good Mama G-O-O-D-M-A-M-A, for 40% off. I would love to see you jump into the class. Let me know how I can help you. And blessings for the week, gentle mama. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life Podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.